say it's a refinance, for example, look, we can do this in four weeks, but that's not going to be fun. So a good timeline is going to be six weeks. And this is how we're going to do it. And I outline them, you know, so that I've got all the documents. Or if it's a purchase, I can say to them, you know, when you're under contract and you're trying to get me a job letter, it is going to be extremely stressful for you, not for me. So the more stuff we get done up front, the easier it's going to be on you. The less stress is going to be on you. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. So I get all the documents up front and then they don't hassle me too much when something comes in, unless there's, you know, an, an offer coming in. And then I say, okay, that looks great. Send me a link. I love the way you just frame that. It's going to be more stressful for you than me. Like you actually are not taking <laughs> on their stress, right? You're not going, oh no. my, because too often mortgage brokers will take on the, uh, the client's lack of preparation becomes your yeah. stress case. If you set the expectations up front to make it less stressful for you, get it to me now. And then I love yeah. the, way, the whole way you frame that. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today is part two of my conversation with Kate Holmes, and we are talking about how you can succeed at being a mom and mortgage broker and only working from 9 until 1.30 every single day and still having a great business and having time for your kids. When I talked to Kate originally, this is the topic I was super excited to talk to her about to find out how the heck is she doing it. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. Also on this episode, on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ruben from Deeded about closing costs, the breakdowns of lawyers versus title companies. Before I jump into that, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. It's got some cool features like smart submission notes. So as you're starting to submit a file, it pulls key data from the app. It's connected to Lender Spotlight, which is the best tool for searching rates and guidelines. I can tell you that some of the brokers that have joined our brokerage recently, and they can use any program they want, but they said, hey, I'll give this Finmo thing a try. And a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them are like, wow, this is super easy. I love it. Check it out at lendesk.com slash Finmo. Hey, Kate, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. So if you guys haven't listened, we've already had a conversation with Kate on the previous episode. Where we talked about process, what she learned from working on yachts, as well as getting her helicopter pilot license. I think you're going to enjoy that episode. But in this one, one of the big reasons I actually wanted to get Kate on the show is because she has a very successful mortgage business, but figured out how to balance being a mom, being a mortgage broker, and all that pressures. And so maybe first, tell me a little bit about like how you have structured your day and your time to be able to do both well, like because that's something I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. So I have my non-negotiable and my non-negotiable is my time. And I work from nine to one or one thirty, And that is my work hours. And my clients are aware of that. And then my say one to one thirty to seven is my family time. And you probably won't get a hold of me unless it's a dumpster fire, like something tragic is going on, you know, with a file that I have to tend to, but you probably won't get a hold of me during my family time. And I just have to be super focused on my work hours. When it's my work hours, I don't do laundry. I don't do the dishwasher. I don't do anything like that. I'm head down. I might take a little walk around outside of my garden just to take a break from my computer screen. But my nine to one or one thirty, it's all underwriting, all marketing, all mortgages. Right. Okay. So you start that. Let's walk through your day. You get in, you sit down on your computer, nine o'clock. And then do you have a certain thing you always do first? Like how do you decide what work to do in what order? So the night before... I'll sit down and I will write out my priorities list, depending on what's going on with files and subject removals and et cetera. So 
I'll have my list already done from the night before so that I can just go down to my office and just start hammering things out. And I number them as a one, two or three importance. So if it's really important, it's going to get a one beside it and I'm going to tackle all the ones. If it's moderately important, I'll write a two. If it's something that I need to do, but maybe I can push it off a day or two, then I'll write a three beside it. And then is it written on a piece of paper? You put it like, I'm, I'm going to get really into the weeds of this because I think people need to, they hear it, but they don't know how to do it. So on a piece of paper. Okay. I like check boxes. I have a little check. You can't see it on here, but I like checking shit off. So yeah, I actually, I, I, I started down. switching to paper and recently, and I actually draw a little check box so that I can check the little yeah. check, but it's like, it's ridiculous when it's like, ding. I love it. Right. Like check it off. Uh, interview yeah. with Kate check, you know, check. like, uh, <laughs> So it's got a yeah. little dope, like a little dopamine hit. Okay, so you, you the yeah, night yeah, before. Yeah. So give me an example of things that you would consider a one and then a two. So that again, people listening could use. I love this one, two, three method. So right. So okay, live contract, we receive a commitment. Okay, income documents need to be uploaded, or all documents need to be uploaded, right? So that would be a one. Anything that has time sets. So purchases obviously first, purchases, renewals, refinances, you know, in that order. That'll be my ones, whatever my file work is. My twos is going to be my marketing, social media. I'm trying to really launch into the social media stuff. And again, we'll talk about that, about my little trip planning to Panama in a little bit. And then odds and ends. So maybe some admin, you know, paying some bills or something like that is my freeze. Right. Okay. So the next morning you get, you sit down at 9am, you got your documents, whatever, submit this file, order appraisal. What do you have for support? What yeah. if you don't mind me asking, what kind of support do you have right now to keep your family? Maybe you have something there. And then what support do you have for yeah. your business? Because a lot of times right. people forget that those two things, you should be thinking about both. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So another thing that I think is really important for people to do, especially newbies, is figure out your hourly wage or hourly rate that you're making, or if not what it is now, what you want it to be. So you know, this year's a bit slower than last year, but last year I looked at, okay, I was making X amount of money per hour based on my files I would do every single month. You know, what is my average hourly rate per file? And what can I pay people to do for that? So housekeeping, lawn care, those are the two things at home that I, I farmed out straight away. And then as far as the mortgage side of things, I have an unlicensed fulfillment basically. And so she does compliance, signing packages, uploading documents, any little odds and ends that don't require a license basically. And she's a contractor. So I threw her in the deep end. I really lucked out with her. She's very opposite of me in a sense. She loves her spreadsheets. She doesn't have a big personality. She loves data. She loves Excel. She loves all of that sort of stuff. And I just threw her in the deep end. I said, here, this is what you need to do. I don't care how you do it. Figure it out. Whatever works for you is fine by me because this is what your job, not mine. And she's a true contractor where in a sense that I don't dictate her hours. So you have to be careful if you're hiring out a fulfillment as a contractor, because you can't tell them when to work. And so she's aware that there's certain things that have to be done during the day. And she's acutely aware of that. And she gets them done. And sometimes she comes to her desk at 10 o'clock in the morning. She sent me an email last night at midnight or 1215, because she's a late person. And so she knows what has to get done. And she fires it off. And then she's free to do her own job as well, her own stuff. Right. And so do you pay her like an hourly fee or a file fee or just like what's works for hourly. you? Hourly. Hourly. Okay. So, and then she just yeah. basically works whenever the heck that she makes sense for her. Uh, yeah. Total trust thing. I was really fortunate in a sense, like she works remotely. She works from home. She just happens to be in Powell River as well, but I had to have a certain amount of trust that she was going to be a good person and aligns with my own personal values of not being a scammer, not, you know, milking it. And I don't feel that she's that at all. And she's been with me for over a year, about a year and a half now. 
And so she does her own tab. She sends me an invoice. That's what I work. I say, okay, I send her volume bonuses when we're having really busy months, 50 bucks a file on top of what she gets just as a little thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Okay. So you get up night before your list of one, twos, and threes. You sit down at 9 a.m. Ones get done first. Twos, tell me about your prospecting and marketing strategies that you're applying. Because I was talking, I was doing a coaching session with one of my agents the other day, and she was saying she's struggling with getting stuck and she doesn't have fulfillment right now, which is a big problem which would solve a lot of the problems. How do you make sure you fit the prospecting in? Everything can become a one, but then if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. So how do you make sure that you are actually getting to those things? Right. So beginning of the pandemic, I um, had a really depressing day, like just felt really down. And I listened to Darren Hardy, or maybe it was Jim, one of those guys anyways. And they said, work on the things that's going to move the needle. So what's going to actually make me the money now today and then what is going to make me money by maybe nurturing some things, right? And so that's where the one, two, three things. I work on the files that are actually going to put money in my bank, but I know that are going to make me money. And then I say, okay, if that's all done, now I've got to fill my pipe. So I've got to figure out ways to get leads in. And because I'm gearing my business to be remote, which we've been for several years now, so I really want to get the social media. I look at the demographics. I don't want to meet anybody in person. I don't want to have anyone drop off documents. I don't want to deal with any of that. So my avatar is, say, the 25 to 55-year-olds that are tech savvy, that can upload documents, that are comfortable doing an online application. And I yeah. think about those people in that demographic that are on social media, right? The majority of them are. And so I, that's how I run my businesses. A lot of social media checking in. I feel I'm a pretty genuine person as far as I'm a bit of an empath. And I checked in with my clients regularly during COVID and just saying, Hey, how are you doing? Like, what's honestly, like, I'm not here to talk mortgages, but how are you guys actually doing right now? Are you guys okay? You know, how's your mental health, all of that kind of stuff. And just being caring and genuine with my clients, my current database was really helpful. Right. Okay. So using social media, so what kind of things are you doing on social media to engage with these 25 to 55 year olds or what's working for you right now? I know it can change over time and, and you got to put your personality into it, but what's worked for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I try to take a page out of Gary Vee's book, right. And just really give them an insight of my life. And so the things that make me happy. So I love gardening and my dogs, my kids, when I have huge successes with my mortgage industry uh, or my files, I'll tell people about my wins. I will tell them about challenges, other things, basically anything that's in my book, my notebook, that files that have happened as well, I can work on that. And also mindset stuff, because that's something that interests me and that I enjoy. So talking about my morning routine, sometimes on social media, you know, I haven't told you I get up at five every day, five to six is my me time. So I talk about that. Time? Okay, I didn't talk about pre okay, you told me from one thirty to seven is family time. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and what do you do in the morning? You get up at five? What's me time look like? So I have my cup of coffee and I journal and I meditate and I do my stretches. And that is my one hour before the kids are allowed to get out of their rooms. That yeah. that is my alone time. And I'll figure out, yeah, and I write down whatever I want to write down. Basically, a lot of it is the mindset, hippy dippy stuff, you know, I don't think the things I want to. I think that anybody who thinks that, that is yeah. usually not understanding. That's actually a mindset yeah. issue that you have. You don't even yeah, know. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so writing down my goals, right? Writing those down habitually every day helps me point me in the direction I want to go based on my values, right? And I remember reading once, you know, somebody asked me what my values were. And I said, oh, my this, this, and this. And they said, you know what? Show me your bank account. Show me your schedule. And I'll tell you what your values are. And that really hit home for me as well. I thought that was a good one. 
Yeah, that's true. It's easy to do the bank account thing. Tell me about Panama. So how does Panama tie into, and this is a great song, Panama. Uh, uh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say, like, good. I love say, I would love to be a rock star, but you know, uh, next life. So tell, next yeah, life. tell me about what's the plan with Panama. So gearing my business online so that I can work remotely. Anima, we've got a small window of opportunity with our children. They're four and six to be able to travel with them while they're young. We feel it's going to be increasingly difficult as they get older to pull them out of school. And so we figure this the next five years is a really good opportunity to be able not for a long period, like two to three months is what we're thinking this year to go to Panama specifically. The reason Panama is it's still warm. The infrastructure is good. You don't get the rolling blackouts like Costa Rica. Yeah. It's a developing country. So medical, international schools, all of that stuff. And it's within a fairly reasonable time zone as well compared to us. So it's Toronto time. So it's not like Bali or Thailand or somewhere like that, that the time zones will mess you up. You'd be, yeah. I had one of my team members in Australia for a couple months and he's getting up really early in the morning because like, hey, how's it going? So I love the way you've structured this. I love the fact that you just are done at one one thirty. So last questions on that. What do you do about emails that come in after one o'clock? What do you do about texts? And what do you do about phone calls between that one to seven time? Like, how do you you know, phone calls are non-existent. My kids will scream in the background. So again, if it's say a realtor or somebody texts me like saying, you know, this is an emergency, which there should be no such thing as a mortgage emergency. Like that's not a thing. That, yeah, um, unless you want you those know, kind of clients. Some clients will make going to the gas station an emergency because they just yeah, that's how yeah. they run their life. So yeah. Yeah, cart before the horse, right? And so my clients, I warn them. I say, hey, this is my family. Not warn them. I, what's the word? Train them. I prep them. I give them realistic expectations. If it's an email, if it's something easy, I'll say, you know, I can answer that back in an email or I'll just say, I'll have to get back to you after hours. And I'll email back around 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. I might go to my computer and hammer out a few emails. Again, there shouldn't be a mortgage emergency. So a lot of it I'm able to postpone to the next morning and just, again, hyper-focus on it. Right. Okay. So email, you've got text, phone calls don't happen much text. Do you have clients send everything by email? Do people like texting you? Like what do you do email. There? Just email? Yeah. You know, again, depending on the question, if it's something quick and easy, I might answer it on my text, but I don't like to get clients comfortable with that because again, just compliance yeah, and training, just like the dogs, you know, like ring the bell. Just like the yeah, yeah, ring the exactly. bell, feed the dog. Yeah, you gotta be careful about that. So one other question on this whole thing to do with the nine to one thirty, which I love, is that do you actually tell your clients that? Is that something you say to them in the expectations? Hey, I work from nine to one thirty, or is that something that you just do and they learn that by working with you? A lot of the time I'll tell them, I'll just say, Hey, you know, my two to 7 PM is my family time. Again, if it's an emergency, I'll answer it. But if not, you know, you can send me an email, but the chances of me responding back are pretty slim, but I will get back to you within 24 hours. So either that night or the next morning when I'm back at my desk, and people and don't have a problem. So I, I think, you know, other mortgage yeah. brokers, especially moms tend to like, I hate to say it, but they do get more of the pressure of like family and everything. Like, yeah. There's just more pressure. Like just, um, you know, yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a mom, but I know moms and I understand that there's just more things that they have to worry about. So have you got yeah. any yeah. pushback from people saying what I'm not, you know, about the whole two to seven thing? No. And again, it's about getting your clients, like having the systems in place. Like I just say to people, look, we can do this in, you know, let's say it's a refinance, for example, look, we can do this in four weeks, but that's not going to be fun. So a good timeline is going to be six weeks and this is how we're going to do it. And I outline them, you know, so that I've got all the documents or if it's a purchase, I can say to them, you know, when you're under contract and you're trying to get me a job letter, it is going to be extremely stressful for you, not for me. 
So the more stuff we get done up front, the easier it's going to be on you. The less stress is going to be on you. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. So I get all the documents up front and then they don't hassle me too much when something comes in, unless there's, you know, an, an offer coming in. And then I say, okay, that looks great. Send me a link. I love the way you just frame that. It's going to be more stressful for you than me. Like you actually are not taking <laughs> on their stress, right? You're not going, because oh no. too often mortgage brokers will take on the, uh, the client's lack of preparation becomes your yeah. stress case. If you set the expectations up front to make it less stressful for you, get it to me now. And then I love yeah. the, way, the whole way you frame that. Is there any other ways that you frame things to make it, because it's about their benefit, but it also helps you do your jobs. Are there any other ways that you feel like in those conversations, you frame things to make it easier? You just got to take control and take charge because we do this day in, day out. So you have to have that confidence that you know what you're doing and you just have to tell them exactly how this is going to go. Okay. So first I'm going to send you a link to my online application. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to fill out. Don't worry too much if it's, you know, if you're not sure about things, because I go in on the back end. Next, you're going to get a link for the, the documents to upload. Get me as much as you can right away so that I can underwrite the file like a lender would. I've got a 97% funding ratio because I underwrite the files and I have all documents up front right okay, away. Pause. That's a great line. Like, I mean, it, it's got to be true for you to say it, but like, that is a great thing to say yeah. because now it's like, I want like, okay, sorry, keep going. And that was, that was yeah. And then once you get a live file or when you find a house, send me a link to the property itself because it's a two-part approval process so you get approved as a covenant or a borrower and they look at your income down payment credit but then they're also going to look at the property so they don't want grow up they don't want this this and this you know knob and tube asbestos so send me a link first and i'll have a quick peek at it and then what i do is i pop in the property taxes condo fees all of that to make sure that what i'm looking at is going to fly and say yeah looks good you know you can go asking price or x amount above and then they go out, write an offer and yeah. Off you go. Okay. That's fantastic. Off and then any other advice for moms listening who are struggling? Maybe I got one. I'm going to give you two avatars to speak to. So the first mom is with somebody who doesn't currently have an assistant because they don't have the you know capability yet. What would your advice be to that person? Outsource as much from the home, you know, as you can. So again, getting the housekeeper was huge for us as well as like, don't worry about the laundry. You're going to have to have a partner or a husband that's okay. And, and is supportive of your career choice as well, because I'm not going to fold laundry. I'm not going to switch over the laundry. I'm not going to do anything during those hours. I'm at home. I work from home, but I don't go out to switch over stuff. Right. And so you, you know, you have to be disciplined with your time and just be hyper-focused and, and trying to make money for your family and have your why, right. It's all about having your why. And my why is my kids. So. Right. That's a great why. And then, okay, you got someone else who's maybe listening and they've got an assistant, but they still feel like they're getting sucked into like working long hours. They're not getting time with their kids. Like, what would your advice be for that person? Setting your personal boundaries, right? Okay. If you're getting sucked in, you're not setting good boundaries. So you're going to have to, again, come up maybe with a no list or, you know, say to your clients, you're going to have to figure out what you're okay making. For me, it's because my kids are so young. When they're older, when they're teenagers, they're not going to want to hang out with me as much. I get that. I have all the opportunity in the world then to work as much as I want. But while they're little and while they need me, this time is important to me and I'm okay making less money for right now. And I just put a barrier around my time and I just, you know, I don't let clients suck me into working after hours. I'll take on 10 clients a month, we'll say. Something that's a realistic expectation as to how many clients I can service well enough to be able to do that. And then if, you know, maybe you're going to have to ditch off some of those other clients. I used to say, Hey, this isn't a great fit for us. Right. Okay. So you don't mind me asking like, what would you average? I mean, it's been weird the last couple of years. How many files would you average a year? Like in this nine to one thirty model? My goal was 54 and I've did that the last two years. Right. That's fantastic. So one, one a week. One week. Yeah. 
Just over one a week. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That was my goal. Where can people find you online? So looking for you. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are my two million platforms. I've kind of dabbled with TikTok, but kind of fell off that wagon a little bit. So those are my two big ones. Thanks so much for yeah. chatting with me, Kate. This was awesome. Yeah, no worries. Hey, thanks again for listening to that segment with Kate. If you are a mom or you know somebody who's a mom, forward them this episode. This is one of those episodes that I think everybody should listen to because I love, love, love her whole philosophy around this. And frankly, I wish I would have done this when I was younger. I didn't, didn't have the sense to do it when my kids were younger. But if you do have young kids or want to have young kids, you're going to want to have a listen. I think this is a fantastic framework that you can use. In this next segment, I talked to Reuven from Deeded about closing costs. Hey, Ruben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be here again. So today we're going to chat about closing costs. And I, I think it'd be great to break that down because, you know, when people think of legal fees, they don't understand the parties that all get paid in a real estate transaction. So why don't you break that down for us so that a client as well as our brokers can understand it? Yeah, for sure. So as you just said, Scott, there's a lot of misnomer because I think overall, a lot of brokers we find are obviously having this conversation of costs and closing costs and legal costs with clients. So it's important to at least understand what those costs are constructed of and what a borrower or a client might see on, on their final bill. So typically any legal bill for you know closing a mortgage, purchasing or, or selling a property is comprised of essentially I'll break it down to three different elements. There's the legal fee and that's the fee that you know your lawyer, your title company would charge to process the paperwork to essentially do the work of transferring the property over or registering a new mortgage and so on. So, so think about it as the cost of labor. I think, you know, most of us are familiar yeah. with that concept. When we service our car, we hire contractors. So that's the legal fee. Then there's disbursements. And disbursements are really costs and expenses that a lawyer pays up front for a client in a real estate transaction. And they don't necessarily make a profit on those disbursements. So an example of disbursements, and again, this kind of breaks down into two different categories, is fees that are charged by the government, for example, for you know every time you do a, a search of a title, there's a fee every time you register, charge or discharge. So those are hard costs incurred by the lawyer, the lawyer's office. And as we've all kind of grown to be aware of, there's a lot of different fees that you know governments and ministries and land titles offices or land registries charge. And then there's something called internal disbursements, which is like paper and printing and postage and things like that, that obviously get added. I know from our perspective, because our processor is more so digital and virtual, you end up saving on some of those costs in terms of you know not needing a courier, not needing to print thousands of pages because the process is paperless. So a lot of those costs that basically end up being a saving to the client, but again, you got your legal cost and you got plus those disbursements that really make up the final bill that the uh, borrower sees. Right. Yeah. So legal fees, which are basically how the lawyer or, you know, professionals getting paid, you got your disbursements costs, which are third party costs. And then finally, internal disbursements that can vary depending on how you're running the transaction. So what are the biggest differences between using a lawyer versus a title company? So, you know, because that's something that brokers will, you know, do occasionally. So what are your thoughts on that? There's a couple of differences. One is if you're using a title company to close, typically the title company represents the lenders and the lender's interest. These are lender programs. 
And the borrower or your client, if you're a broker listening to this, does not get legal representation. So typically what happens is they'll have commissioner or notary come to your client's home. They would bring a package of documents and that notary is just there to witness the signature, meaning they can't answer any questions. If your client's got a question about mortgage terms or interest rates or really requires any legal advice, odds are you're not going to get that with the title company. The second is all about turnaround and level of service. Typically we see, and I know there's been a couple of posts in the various Facebook groups as well. It's just around, you know, the expedience of it. Typically, Title companies have ebbs and flows. They deal with high volumes and you might get faster turnaround in terms of closing time with using a lawyer who might have you know more time, more capacity and a more personalized level of service. Right. Um, those are the typical big differences really between the two. So the legal advice, you know, the level of service and level of interaction and client care. And obviously there is a cost difference between the, the two options as well. Right. Yeah. I know that at least in my experience, when I was doing mortgages, I always found like title companies would often be a little bit cheaper, but the experience for the client, even the broker was often painful. And so, you know, no offense to the title companies because they're obviously serving a need in the marketplace, but you're right. It's kind of like, if you think about, I think we talked about this, if you're on a plane, it's like, do you want really great service or do you want, you know, just to get there hopefully. And, you know, I think that's probably, I mean, you've ever flown Swoop Airline? Because if you have, don't, it's terrible. <laughs> do they don't have a phone? Well, the problem with Swoop that I like, again, as a side note, the thing is that like they have so few planes that if anything bad happens, like I got stuck in a see, they're like, they want me there for like two days. I'm like, I'm not waiting two days. I can, you know, so that's the problem with some of those things that the service drops off so much. The savings is not worth, in my opinion, sometimes the potential service headaches. So, um, yeah. And, and a lot of times, I mean, it's a discussion we have with a lot of brokers because ultimately, it is about educating the client about their options. And that's one thing that we're striving to have conversations with brokers and have them understand some of the key differences between the different levels of service. And I think at every other industry, whether you're booking an airline ticket or even if you're getting food delivered, there's always an option to get it faster. So ultimately, you know, you want to use a lawyer or encourage your client to use a lawyer when they need faster service, when they need legal advice, when they need, you know, more of a personalized touch. So Good question to ask is, you know, on a refi, when do you need your money? And that will often dictate the recommendation. And again, it is going to be a trade-off though on cost versus the service. But I think when positioned in that sense, most clients would understand no matter if they're cost sensitive or not. I think most of us are cost sensitive to understand here's what you get with option A, the lawyer option to close. Here's where you're going to get with option B with the title company. Right. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if, if a broker is guiding a client, is there any other sort of specific advice you'd give them for, you know, helping them navigate that? The one thing that I can think of, obviously, there's a cost, there's timing. It's like, if it's really important that you close, you know, quickly, often the title companies I've found are not as quick at that as a good law firm or somebody like yourself who is just, you know, designed for that service. Is there anything else that they need to think about? I think the other perspective that we often miss is what is the broker's ongoing involvement? Because ultimately, your job's not done until the deal funds. And there's a lot of variables that happen in closing. I know we hear about it all the time. So ultimately, it does become also a question for the broker in terms of who you're choosing to partner up with, of how much involvement do you want to get? How much visibility do you want to get? Because obviously, you know, whoever you choose to partner with is indeed a reflection of your brand and the reputation that you work so hard to build and, and maintain. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. Anybody listening to this, 
if you guys want to check out Deeded, I know that your guys' customer experience is fantastic. I mean, the pricing is right in line with what anybody else does, but the experience is really the key. And you know, I wrote something down as you're talking, your job's not done till it funds. You know, it's like we as brokers, and I see brokers sometimes make the mistake of like, hand it off and set it and forget it. And it works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it turns into a catastrophe. And you're like, man, I should have stick it. And then any experienced broker knows that they need to have a good, somebody on the end to close it well, because it's this thing they're going to remember. If it was a crap experience, that's what they're going to remember. And ultimately, everybody gets blamed but the broker takes the, you know, for the most part, everybody points his finger at the broker, the lender, the lawyer, and it is your fault because you're the one trying to organize it. You should be the one running the thing anyway, in my opinion. But anything else you want to add on, the, on this whole topic? Part of it is just understanding what the options are and being able to be in a good position to explain the options to your client versus, you know, taking them down one path versus the other. Be able to have that intelligent conversation, understand, you know, how to cost compare, what's the level of service you're going to get. Couldn't agree with you more, Scott. I just, you know, came back from a lunch meeting and and one of the thoughts was, hey, if the chicken I ate was bad, you know, the restaurant's not going to blame it on, you know, their poultry supplier. The restaurant's going to get the flack for it, right? So same thing. I think, you know, time and time again, we see closing is such an essential part of a broker's process. A lot of times it is an afterthought. And a lot of times we're seeing that, you know, brokers not even realizing how important it is to getting those five-star reviews and getting those recommendations because ultimately that's what your client will remember at the end of the day. They're going to remember their last moments. They're going to remember, you know, getting the deal funded. They're going to remember the, you know, how much friction or how little friction was involved. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you guys listen to this, I encourage you to check out dita.ca. Ruben's company is fantastic at creating a great closing experience and the communication is excellent. The visibility from you and the borrower, it's really, really good. Yeah, And you guys... You'll pay quickly if there's fees and stuff involved. So check them out at dita.ca. Ruben, thanks again for chatting with me, brother. And we'll see you on the next episode. Awesome being here. Thanks again, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode. If you are a new listener, I encourage you to go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. Set up a free power search account. You can keyword search all of our past episodes. It's totally free. Go check it out. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.